See, this, this service, the second service, you guys have a reputation. You want to know what your reputation is? Your reputation is that you're, Tim, back me up on this, that you're slightly quieter, maybe perhaps a bit more reserved than our first service. Would you agree? See, they don't want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. There's a, there's a rumor around that you guys, you hold back a little bit, you're a little more reserved. So I need you to be in the mood for something a little out of the usual this summer and a little more fun. Are you up for that? Okay, see, I'm starting to sense a little bit of something here moving, right? Now, so here's the deal. When we come up with uh, ideas to preach through in the summer, we know that we can't, like, build week after week because people are in and out and missions trips and, and summer vacation and all the rest. In fact, the Lord has been so good to us. This is the first time we've had two services at Mendham in our history. Um, and look how filled the room is, right? And there was another room right before you. So a lot of cool stuff going on here. But we know we have to choose our topics wisely in the summer. The other thing we know is that there's a lot of other things you could be doing on the summer, but you've chosen to come here and worship God and encourage us, encourage each other along the way. That is so huge. What we want to do is give you a reason to go late to the beach. So what we decided we were going to do is we were going to look at iconic songs in kind of the, the songbook of our lives. I mean songs that when you like hear the first chord, you go, I know what that is. And we're going to look at the spiritual elements in them, because everything is spiritual. And you see, there's a reason that these songs are as famous as they are. There are reasons, there's a reason that you sing them. You'll be singing this one on your drive home, and, and you won't really understand why. Because there's profound truths in them. There's also profound lies in them. And so over the summer, we're going to be looking at all of these different kinds of songs. All right? Now, that sounds like fun, right? Now, two, two, two more things before we get started, okay? The band is nervous. They don't appear to be. They look like professionals. But they're terrified. Because here's why. When I came up with this stupid idea, um, they said, who do you think is going to be playing these iconic songs? Because we are but a few humble volunteer servants of the Lord thy God. We don't have, like, paid musicians, and we don't have all of the instrumentalists. And, you know, they talk about things I don't understand. But essentially, they don't have all the stuff you need to do to make it sound just like it does on the radio. And I said to them, don't worry, my people will be here with you. They will walk you through this. They will, they will, you're going to sing like crazy, right? You're going to clap and cheer and carry the band through these things, right? Right? That's right. Now, what I want to do is I want to be able to go back to first service next week and tell them that they stink, that this service carried it to another level. So... Now, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seats, because we're going to listen to the first song, right? And you are going to pretend you're having... See, let me tell you, the year is 1981. It's a very, very young John Eisman who's just gotten a new Sony Walkman. The power of technology to have your music in your... Well, not really in your pocket, because it was like that big, but... It's 1981, I'm driving on Christmas Eve home from my one grandmother's house, and I have my other grandmother is sitting next to me in the back seat. And I got my headphones on, and I got Journey's Escape album blaring through my ears, and I am singing at the top of my lungs. Now, my Grammy who was sitting next to me, there's something you need to know about my Grammy. My Grammy was a truth teller. Here's the first thing you need to know about her. I was her favorite. I know because Grammy would tell everybody, no, he's my favorite. Um, and so it was awkward for my brothers and sisters. She was never one to mince words. 
So as my mother yelled from the front seat to the back seat in 1981 in that blue station wagon, turn that music down, you're going to hurt your ears. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I turned it down just in time to hear Grammy say, is he seriously trying to sing right now or is he joking? <laughs> it still hurts all these years later. So right now, summer songs. You're on the beach in Belmar. You reek of suntan lotion. You're maybe crawling into bar A. It's 8, 9 o'clock at night. And you discover there's a Journey cover band. Are you fired up and ready to sing? Let's go.
How awesome was that, right? How about Rebecca doing whatever she did on that violin to make... Uh, Who says church can't be fun? Grab a seat, everybody. All right, welcome to Summer Songs. That is an iconic song, right? You know that song. Um, much, much like other iconic songs in, in this like catalog, uh, our lifetime catalogs of songs, that was never a number one hit. You know the highest that ever got? Um, the highest, if you're my age, the highest Casey Kasem ever said that it got was number nine. Only got to number nine. But there's something about it. There's something universal and powerful and hopeful. And like the, the, sing, the song says, its popularity just goes on and on and on. In fact, this is pretty uh, amazing. The song was released in 81, but it was re-released in 2009. Anybody know why that song was re-released? What's that? Glee, and that was the second reason it became really popular again. Who knows what the first was? Tony Soprano. It was the last song Tony Soprano heard before everything went dark. And so that song took off again, and it, it had a whole nother life. Listen to this. It, now, this song is from 1981. It, it, tops the, it tops downloads in the iTunes Music Store amongst songs not released in the 21st century. So it is the number one downloaded song for anything not made after the year 2000. It was the 72nd most downloaded song in 2008. It was the uh, 84th most downloaded song in 2009, still 27 years later. It's the best-selling digital song from the pre-digital era. And it was the best-selling rock song in digital history. In the history of music, it was the best-selling rock song uh, on iTunes until Imagine Dragons Radioactive took its place in 2014. It was placed just outside of the top 20 best-selling digital songs of all time in September of 2010, and it has sold over 6.4 million copies um, digitally in the U.S. since 2015. What is it about that song? What is it about that call? Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Don't stop believing that gets in your head. Here's what's interesting is the team and I have been going through songs, and we've been looking at a lot of songs, man, um, trying to figure out you know, where the Lord is leading and what the band can do and, and what the spiritual elements of the music um, are. Uh, one of the things we've come across is almost every iconic song has one of two topics in it. What's the first thing that great songs are written about? Anybody know? Love, right? That's an easy one. So we'll get to that sometime in the summer. Here's the second one. The... Uh, Hope and dreams and a better day. You look at almost every great song. It's this concept that there's something better tomorrow than what we're living through today. It's by far the underpinning uh, of most of our great music. And the reason is the heart cry is universal. In a tough and lonely world, in a place where things don't often turn out the way we wanted them to. Don't stop believing. Don't stop this, this need for hope and belief and love and meaning, it is the shared human condition. Uh, some of you might know I have an affinity towards Bruce Springsteen. You'll also be glad to know the band won't let me use a Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> All right, that did it. I'm bringing them back. 
However, let me share with you this. He did write a song about, he writes a lot of songs about this, but there's this one song that stood out to me because I saw it played out in, uh, in Guatemala City this week as I was walking through the garbage dump. Um, he wrote a song, Reason to Believe. You probably don't know, but let me read you the lyrics. They're fascinating. I seen a man standing over a dead dog lying by the highway in a ditch. He's looking down kind of puzzled, poking the dog with a stick. He's got his car door flung open. He's standing out on Highway 31. Like if he stood there long enough, that dog would get up and run. It struck me kind of funny. It was kind of funny, sir, to me. Still at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. Now Mary Lou loved Johnny with a love mean and true. And she said, baby, I'll work for you every day. And I'll bring my money home to you. One day he up and left her. And ever since that, she waits down at the end of that dirt road for young Johnny to come back. Struck me kind of funny. Funny, sir, to me, how at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. Or so Courtney was uh, in, the, in the dump uh, all day leading um, vacation Bible camp with the kids, and uh, there was a dog that was walking through the dump every day, and Courtney said, I can tell something, okay, if you've been to this garbage dump, which you should go to, it's no shock that there was a dog walking through, because there's, do I mean, there's dogs everywhere. But this dog, she could tell something wasn't quite right with the dog, and uh, it was alive on Thursday, and on Friday, the dog was dead. It was just lying in the street. And as I talked to the kids, and as we went on prayer walks with them, and we asked them, I, these children live in garbage dumps. Most of them don't have two parents. One of the houses that we built, we were wor working in a tough neighborhood this year, and there was no, no concrete paths anywhere. It was all on dirt. And uh, one of the houses that, that we worked on, they had no food. They hadn't eaten in a week. And so the, the folks from our team were bringing them food every day. They were saving what they had from lunch and bringing it out to their team. But if you go and go and ask their children, you say uh, to him, you say to their child, what are you going to be? Almost every little boy, they're included, goes, I'm going to be an architect. You ask their little girls, what are you going to be? I'm going to be a bilingual secretary. Surrounded by garbage. Father abandoned. Mother on drugs. No food for a week. I'm going to be an architect. I'm going, to be, I'm going to learn two languages. Still, at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. Steve Perry, lead singer of Journey, he writes this song. He writes our song, because it is our song. It's universal. Just a small town boy, just a city girl. I mean, it could be any of us. It is all of us living in lonely worlds, separated from each other. Maybe living in the same house, but separated from each other. Sometimes by circumstances or distance, often by our own lostness or our brokenness. And for them and for you, and, and maybe certainly for every teenager that's ever lived, there's this thought, I got to get out of this place. I'm not sure to where, I'm not sure why, but I got to get out of here because there's no hope here. There's hope over there. There's change over there. My son, when he was in high school, John, there's a, a song, Thunder Road. I won't tell you who wrote it. But there's a song called um, <laughs> Thunder Road. And at the end of it, because all great songs, <laughs> I'm telling you, go home and think about this. You're going to see every great song has this as its, its kind of deep meaning. This is why we love them. At the end of Thunder Road, it says, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. And so you had to write a senior quote in your, the yearbook. And uh, so John wrote, uh, it's a town full of losers I'm pulling out of here to win. And the high school edited it out of his uh, senior bio, so it never got in there. 
That's the hope of every kid, right? Like, there's something better than this. I just don't know where it is, but it's out there. And I can get to it. I think I can. Don't stop believing. But something happens on the way from here to there. Hope fades. and Next thing you know, it turns out there's just a singer in a smoky room and cheap wine and cruddy perfume. When the song goes on for a smile, you can share the night. Not love, not a journey, not life, not dreams, but you could share the night. As I, as I studied this song this week, I just kept hearing in my mind, you twos, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, see, they don't let me sing, but... <laughs> see, I wanted life. I wanted life. And I got... Bad wine and cheap perfume and a one-night stand. I'm telling you guys, like, see, you might have like some spiritual friends going, oh, what kind of church are you going to sing rock and roll songs? This is powerful. Do you know what this is? This is the song of the prodigal son. i got to get out of here because if I go over there, I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And what he found was the same thing Steve Perry writes about. Cheap wine bad perfume, and serving a lot of pigs. Strangers waiting up and down the boulevard. Their shadows are searching in the night. Streetlights people. Steve Perry, you know, by the way, born and raised in South Detroit, you know there is no South Detroit. Um, if you Google this, you'll see everybody in Detroit is like in an uproar about this because there is no South Detroit. So they finally went to Steve Perry. They said, you realize there's no South Detroit, right? He goes, yeah, but it rhymed. <laughs> so it's not all profound. But he said he was in Detroit one night, and he was getting ready. He couldn't sleep, and he got up in the middle of the night, and he looked out onto the boulevard, and he said there was just people. And they just seemed to be wandering aimlessly, but looking for something. And he said they would appear under the streetlights for a moment, and then they would disappear back into the darkness. And they were all going here and there, and they looked like they were looking for something, but they couldn't find what they were looking for, and, and they just became these wandering streetlight people living just to find emotion to try to connect their hearts to something. They, ha they knew there was something out there, but they just find themselves walking the streets at night, hoping to feel again or to, or to find life somewhere, hiding somewhere in the night. So he talks about you know, the, the normal human life, working hard to get my fill. Everybody wants a thrill, paying anything to roll the dice just one more time. I, I, I got to try again. I just got to try. I know it didn't work out, but I'm going to try again in love, in work, in life. Some will win, some will lose. Some are born to sing the blues, some are just always going to lose. You ever feel like you were just born to sing the blues sometimes? Like, I just keep rolling the dice, they keep coming up sevens. Oh, the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. It is the cry of the universal condition. But don't stop believing. This is our story. It's what's behind our songs. There's going to be a better tomorrow if I could just get out of this place to somewhere else. There'll be meaning there and destiny there. And it, it ends with this cry, don't stop believing. Despite what happened on the journey, perhaps despite being reduced to a, a streetlight person, living just to connect and find someone or something, heck, maybe even, uh, maybe even if you're the kind of person that nothing has ever come up right for. 
Don't stop believing that life and hope and destiny, the better day, it's right up there just ahead, just around the bend. Don't stop believing. Now, speaking about rock songs in church is a little weird. Speaking about believing isn't. I was preparing for this talk. I, I found this story. It was kind of funny about a preacher who was, who was talking to a little girl in his congregation about this same topic. It's common to talk about believing in church. And she was out in the lobby. It was between Sunday school and worship, and she was waiting for her parents. And the pastor looks down, and he sees she's got a book under her arm uh, called, with the title Jonah and the Well. And so he thought he'd be funny. You see, it never works out when pastors think they're going to be funny. He thought it'd be funny, and he, he knelt down beside the little girl, and he goes, well, what do you have in your hand? And she said, this is my story about Jonah and the well. And he said, well, tell me something. Do you believe the story about Jonah and the well? And the girl says, why, of course I believe it. And the pastor inquired. He said, well, you really believe a man can be swallowed by a whale, stay inside him all that time and come out okay? And she declared, yes, I believe this. It's the story. It's in the Bible. We talked about it in Sunday school. And so he decided to push it a little harder, and he said, well, can you prove to me that this story is true? She thought about it for a moment, wrestled with belief. And she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And so finally the pastor asked, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? The girl put her hands on her hips and said in a defiant voice, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> the concept of belief. The reason songs about better days and hoping for tomorrows and longings for something different than what I have right now, the reason that these songs are so powerful is that cry is the ache of the human heart. It is universal. It is found in the dump in Guatemala City, and it is found here in men, one of the richest towns in the world. Same cry. We all at one level or another are longing for another place, another city, another home. If you grow up here, right, where does everybody think? If you grow up here, everybody's got to, if you're 18, things aren't working out, where do you go? Florida, right? That's the other place. Some people come back from Florida when they realize it isn't there. <laughs> but that's kind of our thought. If I just get out of here, it's the human condition. The ache, it goes on and on. It's the cry of our souls. We're all looking for something. The same, what if, what if we all weren't looking for something different? Maybe the reason we all sing this song is because the truth is maybe we're all looking for the same thing. We just haven't found it yet. Despite our wealth and our success and our jobs and our cars and our homes and even our families that we love, all of us deep inside have this, this ache. I, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. C.S. Lewis. Some of you know him as the guy that wrote the Narnia tales, the books behind the movies. What some of you might not know about Lewis was prior to writing any of that stuff, he was renowned as a brilliant thinker. He was on staff at both Oxford and Cambridge University. And he was a deeply avowed atheist, by his own admission, hostile to the things of God. Now, believe it or not, through the do you know who led C.S. Lewis to Jesus? J.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings. How fascinating is that? So Lewis comes to this brilliant man, this renowned atheist, this, this incredible thinker, comes to know Christ, and he writes a book. This is kind of the, maybe it's the, the, the best, uh, I don't want to go too crazy about it, but, but if you're going to look for a book to read that would help you understand Christianity at deep levels, his book, Mere Christianity, is probably the ultimate book over the last, if you look at most Christian lists of top books, that's probably the top book in the last hundred years. So you should check that out. 
But in Mere Christianity, this is what he writes about what we're talking about right now, this universal ache. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, now I need to take a pause here. I have four children. And here's something I've learned. Parents, if you're younger parents and you have multiple kids, I want you to understand this. I have four kids. The probability that one of them is doing something stupid at any given time <laughs> is very, very high. Right? Three out of four ain't bad. There's always one doing something where you go, you can't, you gotta be kidding. So a few, a few months ago, I'm sitting home, minding my own business, and in rolls Caleb with two ducklings. And some of you heard this story. I mean, I'm going, what are you going to do with those? Oh, we're going to raise them. Well, and then what? Well, I don't know. And so they're cute. I mean, they're so cute. They're just adorable. But, but let me tell you, do you know there's two things that duck, ducks actually do? They only really do two things, one of which is unspeakable in church. But I mean, they do it a lot, like everywhere and on everything. You need like a power washer in your house to get the first thing they do off of what you own. But here's the second thing. It's so fascinating. From the time we got those ducks home, Courtney, Courtney will back me up on this. If you just put a thimble of water out, those ducks made a beeline for the water. They would roll around in like a, the smallest amount of water. And you'd see their little, little feet start to flop. And, and the older they got, we'd put a baby pool outside. And we'd fill that baby pool with water. And I'm telling you, like, it was like you can't describe it. They knew they had to be in the water. No matter where the water is, those ducks found the water and went to it. Back to Lewis. Lewis says, creatures aren't born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. There's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest that there is a real thing. If that's so, I must take care on one hand not to despise or be unthankful for the earthly blessings I have, but on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only kind of a copy or an echo or a mirage. I've got to keep alive in myself. Listen, church, I've, I've got to keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press onto that country and to help others to do the same. Brilliant. Fellow streetlight people, people like me, living just to find emotion. What you're looking for, it's not here. What you think is going to satisfy you when you get it over there, it will not. But, but the world will keep telling you it will. And you and I will keep falling for it all the time. Let me ask you a question. If I went out to everybody on the street today and I said to them, look, what one thing, if you just had a little bit more of something, what would, get, what would make you happy? A little bit more money. Right? That's kind of our number one heart cry. If I had a little bit more money, I think I, then I'd be happy. A study from uh, the very, very conservative and godly Princeton University. Princeton University. 
People say money doesn't buy happiness, except according to a new study from Princeton University, it sort of does, up to about $75,000 a year. The lower person's annual income falls below that benchmark, the unhappier he or she feels. Well, of course, especially in our communities, right? $75,000, that's when you get to like all your needs, kind of your, your base needs are now being met. But listen to this, but no matter how much more than $75,000 people make, they don't report any greater degree of happiness. What you're looking for is not found in money. Okay, well then, see I watch a lot of TV, and what TV seems to be telling me, and I know it's telling my kids is, it's really, if it's not found in money, it's found in sex. If I could be with more people more often, then I would get, my heart would get connected, and that would be, I mean, I know, that would just really, that would meet my needs. Now, I'm going to cite a ver another very conservative journal, and you're going to need to stick with me through this and believe despite its reputation for being so conservative. The New York Times wrote an editorial entitled, that's a joke, because the New York Times obviously is very conservative, Why Monogamy Matters. Listen to this. Earlier generations of Americans waited longer to have sex, took fewer sexual partners across their lifetimes, and were more likely to see sleeping together as a way station on the road to wedlock, and they may have been happier for it. That's the conclusion suggested by two sociologists. Their research, which looks at sexual behavior among contemporary young adults, you know, streetlight people, finds this. Listen, church. There is a significant correlation between sexual restraint and emotional well-being, between monogamy and happiness, and church, and between promiscuity and depression. Between promiscuity and depression. What you are looking for is not here. Well, if I can't find it in money, and I can't find it in sex, then maybe you're right. I need to get into a relationship because really I'm looking for a connection to a person and that person then would kind of fill me. So what the world has told me over and over is I need a soulmate because once I get married, then I'll be fulfilled. Is anybody here married? <laughs> now see, if your partner just laughed, you have big problems. <laughs> we laugh because <laughs> somebody told you that. But along the way, you realize, well, wait a minute. I love my husband. I love my wife. But I'm not sure this is it either. And so I think there might be something better over there. And so with the first marriages and in 50% divorce rates, I found this, another article. This is interesting. I have no idea. The, the re most recent figures on this come from the Center for Disease Control. <laughs> but 75% of women, 80% of men who failed at first marriages usually remarry within five years. And the main reason that they say they remarry is that they feel like they learned from the experience of their first marriage. Because I know when I messed up there, I know how that didn't work, but now I found the person, I found what I'm looking for. Except for the very conservative University of Virginia study, which shows that the divorce rate in second marriages is 66%, and the divorce rate of third marriages is 73%. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Money and sex and marriage, all of us street life people living just a fine emotion. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Are you open to the possibility 
Would you wrestle with it in your mind that the reason songs like this speak so deeply to our souls is that what we're looking for, what we're believing will satisfy us, the objects of our beliefs have been totally misplaced? What if, as Lewis said, our universal ache is reflective of the fact that there is something there which can meet it, but we've put our belief in the wrong things. We thought the American dream was the way. We believed we had a little more money, a little more sex, a little bigger house. Then we would find it. And when we get it, if we're honest, it seems to amount to smoke-filled rooms and cheap perfumes. What if we stopped believing in better days and better things and started believing what the Bible proclaims to be true, which is that the only thing you can believe in to fill the ache of your soul is Jesus Christ? What if it was him we chose to start believing in again? Not over there, but right here. What if we started to believe in him again? What if, what if we hit reset and we put our hopes and our dreams and our desires on him? Now, I want to show you what I mean by, by believing in Jesus. Watch this. Now, you're all godly people, okay? So I understand you would never play the lottery. But pretend you, were, pretend you all bought a lottery ticket, okay? I gave them out to you. So you don't need to feel guilty. Now, I'm only joking, by the way, here. But you're, So we're all in a lottery, okay? You got a $500 million pot coming tonight. How many of you hope you win the lottery? Raise your hand. Raise them high. All right. No, keep them up. You people are bad at Simon Says. Keep them up. Now, how many of you believe you'll win the lottery? There's the difference between hope and belief. There's the difference between hope and belief. See, can I tell you something as your pastor? I'm not ashamed to tell you that sometimes I hope in Jesus, but there's places in my life where I don't believe well. I don't believe. I'm not ashamed to say it because it's the universal condition. We hope for Jesus, but I'm not sure often we believe in Jesus. There's a story that the scriptures tell. It's in Mark chapter 9. I want to read it to you. It's because it's just about, it's about you and I. Scripture says that when they came uh, to the other disciples, Jesus and, uh, Jesus and some of the other disciples, when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with these people about? Jesus asked. Man in the crowd answered, he said, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whatever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, that seems a little rough, right? See, I like kind Jesus. I like sweet Jesus. Like Ricky Bobby, I like baby Jesus. I'm not sure I like this Jesus. But the reason that it seems that he's so short is that this is the story of man. It is our story. We say we believe, but we merely hope. In fact, what you'll notice is this is the same thing that God said to Moses about his generation. And it's true about our generation. Look at Numbers chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the things I've done among them? Church, 21st century church of Jesus Christ. How long? 
How long will you not believe in him? In spite of all the things that he's done in your life. And here's Jesus walking with these disciples and they've seen signs and wonders and they've walked with them and eaten with them and, 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 and communed with them. They've seen it all, but they don't believe. They hope. The scripture goes on, so they brought him the little boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground, and he rolled around, and he's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus is boy, uh, asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, but? But if you could do anything, if you take pity on us, then help us. You see, Jesus... I'm not, I hope you can do something. I'm just not sure you can. I mean, I, I, I hope you could fix my, my marriage, but I, I'm not really sure. I, I hope you could heal my sickness, but I'm worried that you can't. I, I hope you could store my relationship with my kids, but I'm starting to think that maybe you, you, you won't. I, I hope my fear and my anger and my pain and my depression and my addictions and my disappointments, I hope you could do something about those, Jesus, I hope you can, but I, I'm not sure I believe. If you can, says Jesus, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. What's possible for one who believes? What's possible? What's possible? Everything. What's possible? Everything. Do you understand through the power of belief that for you, through Jesus Christ, everything, everything, everything is possible if you would believe? Immediately, boy's father exclaimed, and here's the quote of our lifetime. It's mine. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because if you could overcome it, I'm telling you, everything is possible for those who believe. Don't stop believing. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him, him violently, came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and stood him up. You need to understand this. Jesus is not mad or disappointed in my and in your half-hearted belief. He's not offended by that. The only reason he's upset is because it saddens him that he came and left the side of his Father in heaven, that he lived amongst us, that he died for your sin so that you and I could experience so much more than the way we live. We could have so much more if we would just believe that not just some things, but all things are possible for us. And it breaks the heart of your Father in heaven. It breaks, just like it would break your heart if you've given to your son so much more and he would only hold on to a bit. It. You know, I know it's not easy. I, mean, I walked around in a garbage dump. We saw some horrible things. Every time I go, I think I'm going to get used to it. And then I see things. And it, we sang Good, Good Father the first night on the top of the mountain. I asked the group we were with, I said, I want you to tell me why you can sing this after what you just saw. Tough questions. 
But I do want to share with this. Most of the folks that were there with us were, were, were from a church in Florida. And, uh, you know, they said, so what are you talking about in your church on Sunday? I said, well, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> I said, you know, we're doing this thing on rock music and songs and spiritual elements in it. And uh, so we all walked through the dump together, and uh, we saw what we saw. And uh, I was lying in bed that one night, and uh, a lot of those kids, there's a lot of kids, 20, 20-somethings on the trip, and uh, they're, they're really talented. And as Courtney and I were in our room and I was lying in bed, I heard them over kind of the ravine. All I heard is, don't stop believing. Yeah, you could be, an, maybe you could be an architect. Maybe you could learn two languages. I know it's not easy. I know circumstances conspire. But I'm telling you, belief changes everything. Belief in Jesus and that your possibility, all possibilities are there for you. When they liberated, um, when they liberated one of the concentration camps in Cologne, Germany, they came into one of the holding pens. This is what they found on the walls concerning belief. For those who had a lot more reasons not to believe than you and I, it said this, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. Here's how Paul summed it up. He said in Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What you're looking for is not out there. It is in here. It is in him. It is in believing. Joy and peace are available to you as you believe so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul would join with Steve Perry and say, Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Just start believing in the right thing. The only thing that can satisfy your soul. I got one last thing to share with you as we close. We did devotions every night on top of the, on top of the garbage dump out there. and We looked through some questions. Um, Eric, much more, our head elder, gave me a, a book on some questions. They're great questions. Most of the time, through all of eternity, man has been asking God questions and demanding answers. But if you search the scriptures, you start to see that there's certain instances where God asks man questions. And he can't answer them for you. And so we started going through some of those questions. You know what the first question we looked at the first night was, it had to do with the story of when Jesus was walking by um, the, the River Jordan the day after John had baptized them. And Jesus comes back the day after, and a couple of John's disciples start to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and looks at him and goes, what do you want? That's a heavy question. Because it, it goes to what we think is out there. What we think we can get what we hoped for, what we dreamed for. Jesus says to them, well, what do you want? And in the second night, we looked at what keeps us from getting what we want, what keeps us from believing in Jesus, what keeps us from falling in Jesus. It's that we're scared to death. We're scared to death to step out in faith. You know what, you know what, you know what eliminates fear, according to the scripture? Perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fears. Here's what the scripture says about it in 1 John. So we've come to know and believe. See, it comes with belief. We've come to know and believe, but not just know, but believe that lo the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There is no fear in love. Everything you're looking for is still available to you, but it's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Do not live a life of regret saying, I just kept chasing after all this stuff and never got it. 
I want to show you something that's absolutely fascinating. They put a billboard or a chalkboard up in New York City and asked people what they regret. Check this out. the time I wasted, not saying yes to things. It's something I've always wanted to do since I was little. Time slipping away, I mean, that's probably the worst feeling in the world, right? loads of friends from different walks of life and it's really hard to keep in touch with everyone. Up until recently, I was homeless. If I hadn't hurt the people that I had, maybe I wouldn't have been. I wanted to do so many things, but I can never seem to find the time. I did all the things that were like plan B. I just never did it. <laughs> Feels like where I want to be. Feels like where I want to go. That it's not my regret anymore. It's hopeful. It means there's possibility. people maybe you've given up but I am here to proclaim to you the truth don't stop believing don't stop band come up here's my prayer over you may you know that what you are looking for will not be found here the ache will not go away when you have more money more sex more stuff what you are looking for is found in one man who stands at the crux of history. And he stands at the door to your heart. And he longs to come in and be with you. And in him and through him and because of him, for you, 
All things are possible for those who believe. Mendham Hills Community Church, don't stop believing. Let's stand and sing.